Hello and welcome back to another episode of Going Through the Motions with me, Callum. And me, Alex. How's it going, guys? The podcasting equivalent of a lost sock after a trip to the washing machine. That's every trip to the washing machine. Every trip to the washing every machine. Every single trip to the washing machine. And There's I always kind a... of thought moving to a one a one bed flat and being really good about the washing and all that. I was like, there's nowhere for these socks to hide. No, no. But they there's disappear. All... But you always have to make a sacrifice to the washing machine gods. Yeah. That's, that's the rule. Absolutely. That's the rule. I'm always scared that at some point the washing machine's going to break and, you know, someone's going to come and have to fix it because I don't, just don't have the technical skills to do that. <laughs> and then take it apart and there's going to be 10 socks in there and they're like why didn't you just take the socks out and i was like i thought i had <laughs> yeah i know when they tell you I, that i thought i take all this i thought i took but all the, the socks out it's like they weren't they weren't even in the innards of the washing machine they were I, in the drum all you needed to do was hang them up and i was like well yeah. i thought they disappeared i couldn't see them they were they were sitting on one of those shelves i just love it i love it yeah when a professional tells you all you needed to do was do this yeah i know but i didn't know how to do that which is why you're here which is because you know how to do it yeah yeah i also love the idea when you said i don't have the technical expertise to work out a washing machine i'm just picturing you stood next to the washing machine with your violin and your bow going nah i've tried it mate doesn't work no no no. these are I, not the right tools no, no. i i take the <laughs> i've played to it yeah i take the i take the i become the guy that kicks the tire um yes. on a car and goes yep that <laughs> That's that's broken. That is <laughs> packed show. Packed show this week, man. Yeah, uh, we have got a lot of stuff to talk about. Obviously, straight up top, uh, you've got some interesting news I want to talk about. We've got a lovely segue as to why we're going into the 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 episode that we're talking about. Obviously, John Williams's prestigious award. But then straight into moving forward, we've got some amazing news. We've got some Wonder Woman news. We've got some uh, some Suicide Squad news. A lot, still a lot of DC news there. Uh, some, some ACDC in, news. Some ACDC news. Yeah, that'll be good. We've got news from the Grand Tour. Uh, also some uh, naughty people on the, the set of The Matrix, uh, which would be a funny thing to, to impact. Yep. Um, but before we get any further, you've had a busy week, mate. I have. I have get had into a, it. I have had a busy week. So I need to get my charger. So you've got two minutes to talk right. about this. I'm joking. I'll be back in a second. <laughs> yeah, I am listening. Okay. I'm good. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Okay. So, so I recently got a job playing the Christmas Carol on the West End, which is quite a big deal for me because it's going to be my West End debut, which I'm quite, which I'm quite excited about, and the musical is written by Alan Menken. And uh, yes, uh, who listeners will know as the songwriter-composer for the whole of the Disney Renaissance. So mm. Beauty and the Beast, Cinderella... Not, not Cinderella. Pocahontas. Yeah. Cinder, uh, not, uh, why am I trying to say Cinderella? Stop saying Cinderella. <laughs> Be- Beauty and the Beast, Pocahontas, Hercules... Cinderella? No, not Cinderella. <laughs> Not Cinderella. Absolutely not Cinderella. Point is, the bangers. Aladdin. He did Aladdin as well. Yeah, he did a lot of Aladdin. Um, Lion and... King? No. Oh, nope. That was Hans Elton Zimmer. John. That was Hans, Hans Zimmer, Zimmer and Elton John. Yep. But he also wrote this musical based on The Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Mm. And we had a super, super, super fun hour-long Zoom meeting yesterday all about COVID safety. Mm. Uh, and where to get our tests because we have to get tested before we go before we go in 
In fact, are they, are they, they're paying you to do the test, or do you have to pay for yourself to get no, the they're, test? No, they're bringing testing people onto oh, premises wow. and doing testing on site. Goodness. So I, I was thinking about this because they are opening up a lot of sports events. We didn't talk a huge amount about the Autumn Cup last week, which is the new rugby event, but they must have full testing plans. Yeah. Every, you, if you're a COVID testing team, you, you don't have to worry about money. You know, who tests the, the team, though? That's what I want to wonder. I don't know. Anyway, keep going. I've got no idea. But anyway, this it was really the fun police, you know, going after you, like, you know, do this, do this, do that, and they also included like a twenty-minute slideshow on what COVID actually was, in case anybody didn't actually know. So that was fun. But then at the end of it, there was a bit of a surprise guest, and all of a sudden we hear a "Hi everyone," and it was Alan Menken. Wow. And he just popped up on the screen and everyone's faces in their little segments on the Zoom call, just their eyes widened and kind of like caught their breath because this man is a legend. Amazing. And he was calling from his home slash studio in the um, Caribbean. Mm. And it was, he was wonderful. He talked a little bit about the show. He said hello to... The production staff, the musical director, the the actual director, the producers, and the head of departments of costume and all that, all that stuff. And he talked about, you know, how he came up with a show where he basically just wanted to make write something in his own words, aggressively Christmassy. Oh, lovely! <laughs> and yeah, it is funny. that, and it is that indeed. So, if anyone uh, wants to come and see the show, it's running th- for the whole of December in the Dominion mm. Theatre in London. Fantastic. Uh, reduced audience sizes, but it is open for we can link. Viewing. We can link the tickets below. We yeah, can we can, actually. Yeah. Episode, of course we can, yeah. We'll, so it's, it's linked below, everyone. Yeah, so that was really very cool, and I made my sisters very, very jealous because they love Alan Menken. Ah, fantastic. And well, that's, that's always lovely, good. Mate. We are a music and movies podcast, and each week we will discuss some of our more favorite music in movies and this week i'm a little nervous mate because um i think this is probably one of my most favorite movies of all time i mean yeah. if not maybe my favorite because of everything about this because everything about this movie as as i see it is perfect there's yeah. there's and obviously there's i say the perfect because you know no no road is is exactly smooth there's a, the odd little there's the odd little bump in it there's a lot of little thing i don't agree um a lot of the the stuff i don't agree with is the transition from the book to the novel uh the book to the film uh there's a couple of little like cgi glitches and stuff that i own i only notice because i just over examine it but i think this in 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 my mind is an example of perfect cinema what is it, Callum? What's the name of the movie? I don't even know what it's called, mate. What are we doing? <laughs> Cretaceous Park? Cretaceous <laughs> Park. Cretaceous of course, we are, we are talking about Jurassic Park. Now, before we get into Jurassic Parks, the reason we, we, we were kind of between two films this week, and what's, uh, what put us, pushed it in the direction of Jurassic Park was some fantastic news for John Williams, mate, which, yeah. you, uh, which, you, which you have absolutely he was awarded the royal philharmonic society gold medal which is one of the most prestigious awards in music internationally mm. it's really amazing and he got it for you know dedicating his life to ensuring orchestral music continues to speak to and captivate millions of people worldwide and there was one person that really summed it up properly 
in that his longtime collaborator Steven Spielberg sent a video congratulations message in which he sure. said, John, you have brought the classical idiom to young people all over the world through your scores and through your classical training and your classical sensibilities. You are in the DNA of the musical culture of today. And I thought that was the perfect description of who John Williams is and what he's all about and why yeah. his music is so important. Yeah. And that's and that's what sets him apart. Yes, from, I completely from agree. from everyone. From everyone really. The fact that he is is capturing the everyone's imagination through and only through or, orchestral music. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. he doesn't really use much else apart from, no. you know, the symphony orchestra and the things that he can do with a symphony orchestra is just mm. astonishing. Well, I've got into some to trust. I've got some notes of what he can do for Jurassic Park and some of the yeah. most crazy, amazing things he's done. And I love the phrase he's in the DNA because obviously that's quite apt. Into it what is, isn't it? Into. Yeah. Now, the funny story that I always have with Jurassic Park, and I think to segue from that point that was made in that it inspires young people because it's just everywhere. You can't, you, 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 you can't move for John Williams when you get into these classics, these amazing all-time cinema greats. You can't. Ha there's no list of the all-time cinema greats is complete without at least a couple of mentions of John Williams. Yeah, I mean 100%. Reg regularly. I mean, you go from Star Wars, you go from Jurassic Park, obviously things like even like the the, the real cinema class. Like your Schindler's lists, yeah. You know, all 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 of them are just yeah. totally. I um, always oozing. enjoy. I always enjoy having that conversation with someone who doesn't, who likes movies but doesn't entirely appreciate, or not appreciate, but they just don't know too much about the music or anything like that. And I and and I say, you know, you don't realize it, but like John Williams basically scored your childhood. And yeah, you don't, he did. And you he don't did. even e. realize it. Jaws. And people go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's, yeah. He, what, what's he done then? And I go, yeah. Harry Potter, E.T., Jaws, exactly. Superman, Star Wars, Indiana yeah. Jones, Jurassic Park. Hook. If I said E.T. Yeah, Hook. Hook. <laughs> yeah. Jesus, the, the dog out there. Didn't know how he got like that. <laughs> He's singing. Sorry, if, can you hear that? No, I can't. <laughs> okay, cool. No worries. Um, no, you're ab you're absolutely you're absolutely right, mate. So my little story just before we get into it is it was from last year when I was doing my uh, my MSc at UCL in London, and there was a we there was a little room we always used to work in. There's probably about twelve of us. We were we were doing this um, MSc and we were we were working really hard on it, and um, we would we probably spend unhealthy lengths of time in that room because we all kind of learned from each other and working together. Yeah. And there was some kids, there was one kid who, look, I'll be honest, he kind of got under everyone's skin um, because he was the, the classic kid of, he would waltz in maybe a, a couple of hours before the exam or a couple of hours before the essay, ask everyone questions, and then just write down, hit their answers and then submit it as his own, you know? So it was, it was, it was just a, he was just a, yeah, really, really got under my skin and he kind of gave nothing back. Like he did none of the research. We as a little group were always researching these problems and then, and then pushing them forward and, and, you know, and then writing our own sort of reports on it. Um, and this guy really frustrated me, but the kicker came when he did this one thing and it must've been about a day before one of our exams right and we were all in there working studying you know practicing practicing um, for for this engineering exam and this kid came in i won't say his, i'm gonna say his name's tom for lack of a better word his name's not tom uh so tom walked in and he sat down and he kind of asked everyone the typical questions like hey tom how's it going yeah 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 and you know and and, and then he sat down and then it was kind of deadly silence again and we were working and after about 10 minutes he started whistling 
and he whistled. Um, and we're all like, and it was it. It's just background because we're all it's so familiar. We all know the do 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 do, and and then he just fucking left. And then after he left, the guy next to me started whistling it. Yeah. And then the one down the end started whistling to it. And it would genuinely, we had to host an intervention where we all stood up and went, right, we need to stop. We need to stop. It's but it such was an earworm, isn't it? It, it, was, it is the biggest earworm. And I'll never forget it. Because the, the next day when we had our exam, guess what was going through my head? Like, I could genuinely, like, if you could whistle, that's what was going through everyone's mind. Like, that yeah. is what everyone was I can make it worse. Oh, okay. I, I can make the earworm worse. Yeah. I'm a dinosaur. No, I'm a it's, dinosaur. It's not, it's not that. It's... I'm a hungry dinosaur. <laughs> where did where did you get that from? What did you just make that up? Have you seen the eight out of ten? The eight out of ten cats does countdown sketch where one of the comedians does that. Oh, is that where it comes from? No, no, no. It's not. It, it, the lyric. The lyrics are: It's Jurassic Park. What a lovely park. What could possibly go? Raw. Yeah, no, that's better. It. No, that's not what that is. I was just put. I was just put. I was just putting words to it. <laughs> now, um, let's get into this, mate. I've got so many bloody notes. Excellent. I'm, I'm gonna, I do love start. the deep dives. And I'm going to start with the screenplay and the book. Now, as I said, I love the book. The book. If you don't get around to reading any books and you want to read at least one book for a movie so for me i like the books of movies just because i love movies so much and this book is a perfect blend of mathematics um biology and action and horror yeah because it, it it's and actually and i emphasize on the fact that the start it's it the, the book is kind of esque of um uh, it's it's off. Oh, what's the film? Uh, Day Z, um, World War Z. Yeah, it's quite World War Z esque because the the book mainly covers a lot of news reports around the world. So in obviously in the Lost World, you have the start where the little girl feeds the bologna sandwich to the small um compies and then and it eats her. So that starts. The book starts with a nurse in Costa Rica who she keeps noticing the children in the local hospital have chunks taken out their arms and no one knows why. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts to Dennis Nedry, who Dennis Nedry in the book and I and I think the characterization is just to clear clear it all up. Dennis Nedry's actually um he's actually a kind of tragic hero as opposed to the kind of villain that he's painted in the film. Because he's yeah. He's he's and and John Hammond is the real villain of the books because he's a kind of a sinister Walt Disney as he's described by Michael Crichton. Where yeah, Dennis I can Ned- see, I can kind of see the Walt Disney yeah uh, comparisons there. Don uh, uh, Dennis Nedry, who was uh, actually he was um, in the book. He's he's a contractor for John Hammond. He doesn't actually work for him. But basically, he's tasked to design the security system. He underpays him. And uh, John Hammond basically besmirks his name so that he can't work anywhere else. And he has to be underpaid, which is why he, in the book, uh, you they talk a huge amount about Biosyn. And Biosyn is the rival company of InGen. And this whole plot doesn't really happen in the book. But there's a whole espionage element to this. And we see this play out when Dennis Nedry is stealing bit, the embryos. We see bits of it. But also, there's this conversation between Nedry and... Hammond, and yeah. Hammond, where 
he's like, I'm not going to be drawn into another financial debate thing yeah, again. And yeah. I'm like, did I miss the point? No, did yeah, I miss right. the bit where they explained why he's in financial difficulties? Mm-hmm. And, or and are so we just supposed to assume that he's really we, bad with you, money? Yeah, you're right. We've got to assume that. But so we, we see a little bit at the start because we see the character Dodson. Now, Dodson, again, Dodson works for Biosyn. So he's the one who goes, Dodson, we got Dodson over here. You know, the guy who gives him the canister. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, Dodson's a really, really pivotal character in the book because he is the one who has basically um he's he's kind of at task to nedry to do the task and he, they keep in contact quite a lot so there's a lot of communication between the yeah. two of them um you also have the characters of ian malcolm who is very very much a math, math mathematician and mit plays a large part in it because he spends a lot of his time at mit studying chaos theory and the one final character which will surprise you in the book who actually is probably one of the most main characters is actually donald Gennaro. Do you know who Donald Gennaro is? He's in the film. The character of Donald Gennaro? Yeah. It's not the... Um, it's not the head ranger, is it? No, no, no. Because so, I so, loved him. No, so Robert Muldoon is also a, a good character in the books. Robert Muldoon uh, survives. So does Donald Gennaro. Donald Gennaro is the lawyer. So a uh, lot yeah. of... The- so a lot of the book is told from his perspective and Alan Grant and uh, especially um, uh, Ian Malcolm. Ian Malcolm is, is kind of a minimal character in the books. Right. Um, and he actually dies in the book as well. So does John Hammond. Uh, so it's a really weird twist where Muldoon yeah. and generic. So yeah, anyway, so little things like that. Yeah. Um, but there's, yeah, there's loads of other little things. There's two T-Rexes in the books. There's a juvenile and a senior. Yeah. And there's a river rapid race, which I've got a point of later. All oh, right, wow, action, action packed. Mm. Whereas this one is, uh, it's got like a couple of set pieces, but it's actually quite well contained. Yes, yes, isn't it? And I think it's very deliberate. You only have, I think it's something like nine minutes of actual dinosaurs on screen for this. And I was yeah. making this point that there's a lot of other scenes that are made really tense. You know, you've got the the turning on of the power sequence. You've got the, the, the yeah. car falling down the tree. And you've got these scenes where there's no dinosaurs, but there's just this threat. It's just high. It's high. Yeah, no, um, it really, really is. I Do you know what? I really, really liked the power, the tension of the power line scene. Yeah. Even though I know that in real life, if the power comes on, that little kid is fine. Yeah. Because he's not grounded. He's not grounded. So he's yeah. fine. But, yeah. <laughs> but that's just like one of those movie logic yeah. bits that you just have to throw out the window where you have to go, oh, it's an electric fence. And exactly. it says 10,000 volts on it. Therefore, danger, <laughs> danger, danger. So this film was number one box office when I was born. Now, that's, oh. that's, one, of, that's one of the lovely little facts I have there. And I want to start with just the, the introduction to this movie. When you first see it, you see the Universal logo and you see Steven Spielberg and then you see Jurassic Park because you have the drums beating. Yeah. And then the spooky little panpipe. And the name of that instrument is actually called the Bakuhachi. Um, yeah. And it's a, pickle, a piccolo style flute made of wood or bamboo usually. Um, but it's just that. And it's just the. It oh, reminds me a lot so of Jumanji, spooky. the original yes, Jumanji. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, very man. similar vibes. And and then you have that the raptor scene at the start, and God, the 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 horns. So the horns that are played, and it's a sequence called the incident on Island Nublar, uh, Island Nublar, and that's yeah. the, the piece of music. What I was, really like, what I really liked about this scene, is the fact that there is definitely a pattern. Mm-hmm. for steven spielberg movies to have these kind of 
cold opens that are just straight into the action like yeah like this scene is a is a prime example the first scene in Raid Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And E.T. They all start that kind of with the the mystery and the thing right there at yeah. the start, and it do- and it doesn't stop. And then you don't get intros to the characters until after the fact. So it's like you care you care more about the world and the fantasy of it yeah. than you do about the main characters. That's it. And I and I think that's a lot of the Jurassic Park's charm. And they use the horns, so the horn section is so leaned upon, not only in this scene, but a lot of the threat. And I'm gonna there's I've basically done a real deep dive and I've recognized there is three channels for the music in this movie. And this is the third channel, which arguably appears more, which is the kind of the raptor attack, the threat theme or the threat style of music, often with tempo timp- timpani drums, mainly horns, spooky flutes. Um, but the horns in this section kind of act like like an alarm, like a warning, you know, like yeah. a fire alarm. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's kind of what he's going for in this sequence, which I think is amazing. Then we move a little bit to the Badlands. We move to Montana and we have some interesting stuff. And I want to talk about this one for you, mate, right? Do you remember the turkey kid? The turkey kid. Yes. Do you remember? You remember at the start when they, they where they well, that little fat kid who yeah um, who it, says it yeah. doesn't look like a bird or whatever that's, that's or it, it yeah. looks more like a more, looks more like a turkey not too yeah. not too dangerous. That's it. Well, got a fun little a little deep dive into that one there. Okay, so that character the the the, the character of the child has is an IMDb list as volunteer boy, but some people have speculated that that character is in fact the grown-up child or Chris Pratt in the sequels. That's that's supposed to be Chris Pratt. Some people have theorized that. Okay. <laughs> uh, first of all, because no, he was sca- no, 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 because he was scared into it. He was scared argument. into it. Present well, your there argument. isn't there isn't anything. It's just because the timelines because they believe that Doctor Alan Grant met this kid. He didn't have a healthy respect for raptors, and then his his last line to the kid was, "So you should be more respectful." And then it kind of cuts away, and then you go, "Oh, wouldn't it be convenient the timelines if that was actually now the lead trainer of the raptors on Jurassic World?" <laughs> I loved it. I think it's oh a good my, little... I hate that. I, I like I, it. I hate that. Why? That's not, cl- that's not clever. That's just, you know, just putting a connection where none <laughs> exists and just go, well, that, that boy might be the same, the same age, plus or minus seven <laughs> or eight years. Yeah, I like you it. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Canon. Done. <laughs> so do you know what I forgot when I rewatched this? I forgot that John Hammond was Scottish. I forgot that as well. How I, lovely was that? And I don't ever remember hearing the Scottish accent. And it's really no. nice. It's a really nice little Scottish accent as well. So that brings me on to some one of my little fun facts. And this is wider than just this piece of uh, some interesting casting. So what I'm going to say to you, mate, is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a couple of interesting casting facts. Uh, for this movie, so the reason that we that we believe that John Hammond was Scottish, I think, is part down to the fact that originally Sean Connery was asked to be uh, John Hammond. Oh, so I think maybe there's maybe that is a fact. Yeah. Uh, also, two other people were supposed to be. Now you you'll obviously know one of them. Who else would you think would be primed to play Doctor Alan Grant in this movie? Who do you think was asked? 
from that era, films similar to this one, similar characterization, similar hat. Oh, not Harrison. Yeah, so Harrison oh. Ford was was asked. So was Kurt Russell. Oh, okay. Um, Robin Wright was also potentially going to be playing Dr. Ellie Sadler. Yeah. Who, again, is, is a fantastic character in the books. Really, really strong. Um, yeah, I really like, I really enjoyed Laura Dern in this, though. Yeah, she is, ve- she, she is very great. good. And the last one I have is Jim Carrey was potentially going to be Dr. Ian Malcolm as well. Oh, brilliant. So, so there were some really interesting uh, characters. Um, again, that's, yeah, not really one, that's not really one that you can recast, though. I mean, no, Ian, Ian no, Malcolm's exactly. always going to be Jeff Goldblum. And I, I, I laughed out so, so hard. There's this one shot of him where he's injured. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. But he's <laughs> lying down off. and he and he's got his shirt off and he's got this kind of pose with his with his arm up and his leg and like you know his torso's glistening with sweat. Yeah. And I thought, nobody looks <laughs> that good injured. He is per- he is perfect for that role. Actually, he is yeah. really good. The character of him because actually him him and um, Laura Dern actually went on to to be having a relationship. I think they got engaged as well afterwards. Oh, did they? Uh, and then it, yeah, because well, so, he that, that 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 land and an, an extra that gives an extra irony to his yeah. uh, line of well, I'm, I'm always looking for a future, future ex Mrs Malcolm. Well, and literally, you know, like <laughs> I was thinking that, and it was really funny. Um, so we talk, I talked about the three channels. You've got three channels of this. You've got the spooky music. You've got John, ha- uh, John, ha- John Williams' spooky music in this. Yeah. You've got the amazing music. And then you've got just the, the, the twinkly, magical music. Now, the amazing, yeah. overwhelmed music, obviously, is Journey to the Island. And we get that when we get the helicopter flying towards. And we have a little brief introduction with them all getting to know each other in the, in the, the cabin of the, the helicopter. And then we see it. And it's the do 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 do. Oh, and I yeah, was it's a fanfare. It, it, it's getting, a fanfare. It is a fanfare. You're it really is. Right, mate. It really is a fanfare. You're. It's the heroes arriving to the citadel. Yeah, is, exactly. Is, is exactly what it is. And it and he, you know, John Williams's task. He's he he basically was said he he wanted to create music that that uh, that oozed astonishment and enchantment and what i get from this watching this movie is is there's one word and it's possibility it's the possibility of what's to come like what that island represents it's so enigmatic and mysterious but it's so just like anything could happen right now and i I think that's the beauty of this movie it's the, the the i feel that way down to the fact that this is a maths book. It's based on chaos theory. It's the book is used to describe science and scientists. And Michael Crichton's books always point to this, the kind of the scientists know no bounds. They they always and it's and it was looking at the era when he wrote this of massive leaps in bioengineering. But it's grounded on nonlinear equations and the chaos theory. And when you see the island, you get that. You go, anything could happen. Mm -hmm. Absolutely anything could happen. And that this theme just embodies that for me so much. I just get chills watching that scene every day. And and I get chills for that scene. And then the following scene, the third music channel. This is the biggest nostalgic, chill, goosebumps, just warm, fuzzy feeling in the whole movie. 100%. It's, so we get the the jeeps rock up to the plains, this open area of herbivores, and we are introduced to the Brachiosaurus. 
and the slow strings just start in, you know, the low register strings. And it builds and builds and builds. And then you get the, and it's the word I want to use is the release because you, you see they're, they're watching the, the, the Brachiosaurus feeding and obviously they're, they're looking out across the herd and they do, you've got a T-Rex, we clocked it at 30 miles an hour. And, and then you get, the the build of the strings and it's just it's palpable you get to that point and it goes oh my god do you know do you know what it is because obviously this is one of the most famous you know musical themes in movie history like it it just it just is of of all time it's right it's right right up there and I think it's romantic. Oh. And I think the melody is romantic in a very, very personal way. And it really reflects what the characters on screen are feeling at that moment in that they almost lose scientific objectivity or anything and they just revert back to small children. Yes, yes, you're being right. Uh, having uh, yeah being amazed and in wonder of dinosaurs that used to walk the earth the earth and oh. they'll you know I mean, they'll I'm... have the they'll have the fig the figurines they'll have on on their windowsill it's just because dinosaurs was just one of those things and it just really captures the imagination and i think and i think if you were to write a musical theme that really encapsulated that idea it would be this one because oh, it would be totally. so It'd be so easy to just write action stuff, yeah. For this, now, but he didn't. Now, I would if I saw this movie in the cinema again, and I need to do it. I've, I've still not had a chance to see this movie in a rerun in the cinema. I know I would cry at this sequence. Oh, I yeah. know it would just well up. It would be overwhelming. And do you know the reason why? Because they included this this piece of music during Jurassic World. Yeah. And I thought Jurassic World was a fantastic movie. I really liked Jurassic World. And I liked it because, for me, I'm a huge fan of this movie. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of the book and the story elements. But then there's the kind of the actual movie side of this thing. I love theme parks. I've always loved theme yeah. parks. And I love the idea of a bioengineered theme park, like a, a theme park crossed with a zoo. And to see that on screen, to actually see the realization of what that would actually look like by today's standards in Jurassic World yeah. was really special for me. And they used that sequence of when they just, and then uh, I forget the name of the kid, but he kicks the doors open and then it just, it, the camera just pans into, yeah. you know, what John, what John Hammond always wanted. It was his dream, this, yeah. this amazing paradise. And I remember f- shedding a small tear in the cinema. Like it was, I did as Jurassic well. World. I did it as well. Beautiful. It hits, it hit all the right beats in Jurassic yeah. World. I will say, however, that Jurassic World is kind of soured for me. And I don't oh, really, I don't is really it because like, of the, I don't the next really few like movies. No, well, next few movies, there's only one after that. There's only one no. released after that. Yeah. But no, I will, I will say that Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is objectively terrible. <laughs> I don't like it at all. And I have my, and I have my issues with uh, Jurassic World as well. And it kind of boils down to, because I was thinking about this while during Jurassic Park it kind of boils down to what they perceive 
Jurassic, the, the excitement of yeah. the genre of the movie as, yeah. and I think they get it wrong in the in the second two movies. And it's really interesting because they actually accidentally criticize themselves for it in the movie. In Jurassic World, they say Jurassic Park opened 15 years ago or however long it was at that yeah. point, and the world was amazed, but now they're a bit bored and yeah. what they want is bigger dinosaurs, sharper teeth, all that stuff. And they make a big point of that. And then I was watching Jurassic Park last night, and I was thinking, okay, these dinosaurs in here are produced with decades older technology. Yeah. They're not as like over-engineered with the sharper teeth and the faster speed sure, and all, and all sure. that stuff. I am still more excited and terrified by Jurassic Park than yeah. I am about Jurassic World and definitely more than Jura Jurassic World 2 uh, Jurassic World 2 because the excitement and the threat what is the the characters being engaged with this stuff yeah is the, is the characters yeah. being con being confronted being confronted with this stuff and in Jurassic World and Jurassic World 2, it just feels like the only danger level, the only level of threat, is not the fact that they're dinosaurs, it's the fact that they're dinosaurs plus. Yes. And they're asking us to care about the fact that, you know, you're telling us that these dinosaurs are dangerous. And I'm like, well, I'm looking at Jurassic Park, and, I, and I'm saying that these these dinosaurs are plenty dangerous yeah. thank you very much well, it's, and, it's, and they're and much it's, more and they're much more terrifying which is why i think they completely yeah. missed the point no you're right you they do miss the point they also miss the point for the reason that actually what jurassic park the real threat comes from it comes from the chaos theory and the science and the the sentence the two sentences of uh, both come from Ian Malcolm which is and uh, uh, Jeff Goldblum's favorite line is the second one but the first one was you, you you were so worried when they were in that that amazing dinner meeting and I kind of want to get to that one next um, because they have that that the ethics talk the talk of ethics is really ripe in the book yeah and they talk about ethics in that dinner sequence where they say you know you spent so much time wondering if you could do it you never really thought to yourself if you should do it mm -hmm. and that's missed from the next two movies because that's actually that beholds the threat that is that is actually where a large amount of the threat certainly in the books and it leaks over into the films obviously the film is bipartisan with the threat of physically holy shit there's a raptor in the same kitchen as me right now but the it's the it's the it's the danger and in the books one thing they did course correct for the the lost world is creating dr wu as a sinister character because in the books he is a very sinister character but in the movie of jurassic park he only gets a couple of seconds on yeah screen. and actually there's another character that i actually had forgotten was in this movie because i realized when i was watching it that i hadn't actually watched jurassic park since jurassic world came out yeah and because of the big because of the big time difference and because before Jurassic World, nobody really cared about B.D. Wong's character. No. I had forgotten that he was in it, basically. Exactly. And I thought he was a fresh character for Jurassic World. And I was quite... I was pleasantly surprised to discover that that wasn't the case. Because I do like continuity with these things. And yeah, I, do enjoy, yeah. I do enjoy Jurassic World for, uh, for what it is. But, yeah. And B.D. Wong's great. <laughs> and, and, he's, and he's fantastic. And, and, it, and 
as I said, he is he is a really you know sinister character in the books. He is the mad scientist. He is what uh, Michael Crichton writes about. Like the, the, there's one trademark in a lot of Michael Crichton's book. It is the BD one character, the scientist okay. of never wondering why if he should do something. Which leads me to the second wonderful line, which is. Ian, uh, like I said, Jeff Goldblum's favorite line in any movie, life finds a way. Yeah, the only line that he says in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Yeah, exactly, yeah. No, I'm being facetious. He says a a little bit more than that. He says about 50% more than that. Now, I just want to talk about the music again for that sequence because we obviously have the life finds a way. We talk about how they're using the DNA of frogs to splice the DNA to make sure that they fill in the holes, which they, they do a wonderful... Steven Spielberg obviously does a massive... Um, dump of information using Mr. DNA and the kind of the, the tour guide yeah. thing, which is really, I think, really clever. A really clever way to condense a large, I mean, I would say a good 50% of the book because that's what the book is kind of about. Yeah. Um, and then you realizing that, you know, they can obviously when they see the nest later and they can switch eggs and there's a beautiful piece of instrumentation I want to talk about in the egg sequence later in the movie. But the first sequence of the eggs, because the eggs are the wonder. You know, that's the wonder. You've got yeah. a dinosaur egg. And, the and is it, isn't it amazing seeing it crack open with this oh. uh, animatronic, you know, puppet? It doesn't look bad, though. I think it no, holds it up. looks it looks incredible. And and every single example of animatronics versus CGI holds up. Yeah, it holds up in this movie as it always does. Practical effects will always age age better yeah. than special yes, effects. And agree. I'll be honest, it kind of spoiled a little bit of the movie for me because the cgi bits we're now watching this movie i watched it on netflix yeah, and too. i watched it on my 4k tv yeah and i could tell where yeah, the cgi yeah, you're, was you're right you're right advancements in te- in tvs and watching things in higher resolution with higher frame rates and all that nonsense is showing up a lot of shonky cgi which i was like i remember that i remember watching this the first god knows how many times i saw this movie i would not be able to tell you um what was a puppet dinosaur and what was a animated dinosaur and now now i can i can absolutely tell you now what i loved about that scene with the breaking the egg is the instrumentation because we obviously have a very delicate piece of instrumentation but we also have a choir yeah. And the choir in the background is just, I think it's really, it's, it's, it to me, uh, and obviously Lord of the Rings then came out afterwards, but there's something that having a choir in that, like that fantasy, that's what, that's what made me think about this. And I think that this was, well, it's, it's they're, a choir they're kind of like angelic. Fantasy. Yes, angelic. It's angelic ooze. Yes. It's kind of, yeah, it's angelic ooze. And it's very telling because not long afterwards you get john hammond saying a very telling line which is um creation is just a act of will yes or something to that effect i don't think that's the that's the exact line yeah but you do get this impression that he basically views himself as god as god exactly and he's present at the he's he's present at the birth of every single one of his animals yes he wants the connection to it he wants to be their you know deity and then so to be present at the birth of this velociraptor and to have this angelic ooing going on, yeah, yeah, it very much goes in with that vibe. Yeah, that's a that's a really good one, mate. 
Now, can we talk... Now, we're skipping forward a couple of scenes, but I want to talk about one scene in particular. I, I would I would go as far as to say probably the best... Either this one or the kitchen sequence, the best and most terrifying sequence of the entire movie. Now, a little segue. I remember when Maddie and I were out in Australia, we were kind of all pairing for some kids and we all paired for a group of, of uh, this, this small, this young family. And the kids were ranging from maybe like eight to 12, I think it was. Um, there was four of them. And they asked me, what was my favorite movies growing up? And I said, oh, Jurassic Park. And they'd never heard of Jurassic Park. Criminal. And so, sh- and so showing this movie. I blame to the parents. So showing this movie <laughs> to someone who had never seen this, who had never seen it before, especially young kids. was be- like, I loved it. Oh, I yeah, loved that, is, that is special. I loved, I loved doing that. And these, because these were lovely kids. Uh, but I, I tell you what, the parents were not happy afterwards because these kids were terrified. Because I forgot how terrifying this sequence and the kitchen sequence is. And of course, we're talking about the introduction of the T-Rex. Yeah. Now, now I, I, I want to throw my own option into the hat for a most mm-hmm. terrifying scene. Yeah, go for it. And that is the death of Nedry. Oh yeah, the Dilophosaurus. The, Dil- the, Dil- the Dilophosaurus, because yeah. that scene scared the bejesus out of me. Yeah, yeah, it more is than quite... any, more than yeah, the, much yeah. more than the T Rex, and much more than the kitchen. It's quite intimate, actually, isn't it? That sequence. It's claustrophobic. Yeah, yeah it is. When it you turns get claustrophobic, car, and it's also yeah. because you know I don't like snakes, and when they do the thing, it's kind of like they're a cobra. I'm well, just saying I that. I, I want to get into that. Let's now that we're talking about the dinosaurs. So we've got the three sequences. We've got the T Rex sequence, the, the Velociraptor sequence, and the Dilophosaurus sequence. I've got a really fun fact for you, mate. Go on. So this is the sound. So obviously we talked about this when we did Ready Player One, but the Tyrannosaurus roars were, were made from a combination of dog, penguin, tiger, alligator, and elephant sounds. And oh. I like elephant because you can kind of hear the purr of the elephant is kind of featured in the, the T-Rex. I was going to say I could hear the penguin. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Are you joking? I no, I'm not even joking. Talking. I'm not even joking. There was there, And I couldn't even pinpoint exactly what sound like frequency in that sound reminds me of penguin yeah. but as soon as you said penguin i'm like oh yeah right enough <laughs> so the brachiosaurus were made from a combination of whale and donkey sounds and the dilophosaurus the rattlesnake was was used so it was the rat the rattle from a rattlesnake which is where you're getting your snake sound from it's not quite yeah. the cobra, but you're right uh, and it was it was scary to listen to but they also used the kind of a hopping chirps of a swan to do that kind of you know when it's hopping and the cute sounds that it makes yeah um and then and, and also howler monkeys were used for this so it was rattlesnakes swans and howler monkeys the main cry of the velociraptor was a combination of the sounds of elephant seal pups dolphins and walruses yeah. So the elephant seal sounds were recorded at the Marine Mammal Center uh, in California. Uh, but it actually, it was it was specifically the real screech actually came from a dolphin uh, in heat recorded underwater. So that's where that real scream sound you get. You know the you know the scream that it gets when it sees Timmy just before it's running towards the ice room, and yep. it kind of like it it like like it yeah yeah i know exactly was, the bit you, you know mean. that scream that's the that's the dolphin sound that kind of comes oh, okay in there, so that, yeah um incredible but i wanted to i wanted to talk about that scene with the with the with the t-rex because actually there's no music for a lot of it it's no i silent. thought i yeah i and this kind of really lends into the horror aspect of yeah. this movie where 
where your first big set piece of the movie because everything before this is kind of going through the motions yeah yeah a little bit yeah yeah it's a little bit like it's a little bit like that and then you get the t-rex scene and you know that this is the big the big bad one the Uh the the t-rex is the coolest dinosaur yes and it's the one that we all paid our price of admission to see now we're not going to talk about we're exactly we're not going to talk about the lost world but i want to just put a little nod in the lost world because i think the lost world which is the second one is is a fantastic movie too i think it's a really great movie obviously not quite as good as this one um but i think some of the the, the, the tones that it touches are also amazing and they use a really useful they use a really great instrumentation piece in that so obviously there's two t-rex in, the, in that one spoiler yeah. Um, but they use a church bell when the two T-Rexes are coming back to attack the RV unit. And it's these dung, dung. And they don't use any music in this one. But I, I actually really like the use of the church bell in the sequence in the second movie when you see right, the two okay. T-Rexes coming out of the woods. So so it, it's it's done either way. But that whole sequence of the T-Rex, man, it just but then one is, is amazing. But then one is as a result of the other. Yeah, yeah, yes. One yes, is a, yes. as a result of the other. Like you know, whatever happens in the in the lost world could could not and would not have happened without this one. Of course, that, of course. And that you have to include the the choice of lack of music. Yeah. In that, because it does really build the tension. Like this huge T Rex is just stalking these kids in the car, and I've never been like, like. I've never been that guy to like want to shake the TV and go, turn the torch off. What yeah, are you yeah, doing? Yeah, 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 um, yeah. There's so that, many points in this movie where that so happens many points as well. In that. But then I think the bit where I was like most tense and I was like, oh my God, you're really putting us through the ringer for this is when he goes through the roof and they're yeah. holding up the roof. Oh, of this it's thing. amazing. Can you sequence. imagine doing that? Can yeah. you just imagine yourself in that situation yes. where you have a T-Rex's head bearing down on you with his mouth, with his jaws open and you've only got this clear plastic yeah, perspex, yeah, perspex yeah, yeah. Holding, roof holding between you and it. That Actually, is in the acting, that would have been terrifying. So I'm going to talk a little bit about this. It's a really good point you make. Here's a fun fact for you. So the T-Rex occasionally malfunctioned due to the rain. So there was a lot of rain. I'm sure I've, this is this is known for a lot of people. Uh, so that the as in like I've I've heard this from a lot of different people about the, how it actually malfunctioned quite a lot because it got wet. Yeah. And um, producer Catherine Kennedy recalls the T Rex went into the heebie-jeebies sometimes, <laughs> and it scared the crap out of us. We'd be eating lunch, and all of a sudden the T Rex would come alive. And at first we didn't know what was happening, and then we realized it was the rain. And you'd hear people screaming across the the set because all of a sudden this dinosaur is just coming alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the crew had to have a safety meeting about the T-Rex because it weighed 1,200 pounds and was extremely powerful, which goes to that point you were talking about, the Perspex screen. Yeah. Uh, and they used flashlights to announce when it was about to come on. So they used a kind of flashlight sequence for everyone on the set um, to alert the crew. Because if you stood next to it and the head went by at speed, it was basically like a bus moving past. It was so much yeah. momentum. Wow. Um, what yeah, a feat so, of engineering as well. Yeah, am- amazing. And as you say, you go back to it. If you look at the photos of this uh, in the 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 set, the the visual, the the, the real the visual effects were ama- amazing. 
absolutely absolutely amazing um now back into the music of this as we said we keep going back there's the three channels there's the amazing channel there's the the kind of the uh, majestic there's the fanfare and then you've got all the other themes the kind of the the sinister themes the raptor themes so you're talking yeah. like the the high wire sequence or incident at isla numar or uh, baby hatching of the raptor sequence or the kitchen sequence yeah but there is one other piece of music in this there's one other song that doesn't conform to any of these three and it's during a beautiful scene a really beautiful scene where we really get behind uh, uh we get behind john hammond of course we're talking about remembering petticoat lane now this is this is a beautiful sequence it's delicate and it's just between ellie sadler and john hammond really pouring his heart out how he, when he came down from scotland he wanted to see a flea circus in london in petticoat lane how he used to host he did it um but he knew that it was always just a fake it was just a show but he wanted something real he wanted something real and um, you know they kind of butt heads during this the sequence but the piece of music remembering petticoat lane it doesn't conform to any other piece of music in jurassic park it's totally on its own yeah uh and it's it reminded me of Hook. It's almost Hook esque because you yeah. have the kind of draw the 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 draw to London. They're kind of just the fantastical. The it, it sounds like it sounds like a wind up music box. Yeah, that's what it is. It sounds a like a wind. It box. sounds like a wind up music box, which obviously you know you get these street performers back in the day. They would have had some of these things. Oh, that's it. Yeah, no, I I, I love that connection. I love that connection. Do you, I mean, the, the, I was also reading somewhere the Remembering Petticoat Lane was, there was also, also elements of that, the kind of instrumentation was kind of similar to Schindler's List a little bit as well. And yeah. I think re-listening to some of Jurassic Park, I hear more of Schindler's List than I do of Star Wars and of, you know, obviously the fanfares and stuff, but actually it's it's the, it's the, the vend. And I think that's the point of Jurassic Park is that, having pieces of music like this really broadens the Venn diagram of the circle of Jurassic Park. And you yeah. can kind of see the crossovers. Um, but watching that scene again, it was, it was really beautiful actually. Um, oh yeah, absolutely gorgeous. And I can keep, I've got loads more points to make, but I'm, I'm fearing that we're kind of running out of time. Just want to talk about the circuit breakers sequence obviously oh, we haven't yeah. gone we haven't gone into Sammy J. We haven't talked anything about right. Sammy J in this movie. Right. He must have. He he must have. And I, this rings a bell for me. So you've got you've got to because I know you already know this because you yeah. I know you've you've looked this up. So you have to tell me if I'm actually remembering this as a fact or okay. if I'm just theorizing it theorizing this. But he there's a lot of techno babble that he has yes. to say yes. in the, in this movie, and I feel like. He probably couldn't be arsed articulating all of it, so he stuck a cigarette in his mouth to, <laughs> in, in all of this, so that he could just get get away with fudging fudging uh, yeah. some words. Every time you watch him speaking, I'm always like, "The cigarette's about to fall out your mouth. The cigarette's about to fall out your mouth." Just can I just push it in a little bit more? <laughs> it's not. It's not. But the fact that it's always there, it, it's almost it's comic. It's comically always there, in that it's like pretty much his whole character. 
But that whole sequence where she's pumping the handle and obviously the kids are climbing over the fence and how it kind of crosses over the two stories and the horns, the horns are being used to play like the siren. Because yeah. you're getting, they're slowly turning the park online. Yeah. And then she goes, Dr. Grant, I think we're back, in, or Dr. Hammond, I think we're back in business. And then the, the Velociraptor explodes through I the pipes. Always, I literally, I always forget that happens. Oh until it's just happened and uh, and i'm like how can the whole thing about jump scares is it only scares you the first time Uh uh-huh but this jump scare scares me every single time oh it's so brilliant it's just and then it's the it's as you said the claustrophobic of the raptors in there in the bunker with her and that's come straight from the books you know that is from the books the 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 raptors in the bunker that whole sequence where there's they're in the visitor center and then they're also in the uh trying to turn the power back on that's that that whole sequence it's so tight because it's from the book um and and it's and it's just absolutely it's absolutely wonderful and even just the clever girl because every time I watch that clever again girl. the raptor gets <laughs> so close to the screen and you're just like oh god like that is just terrifying oh, like it would be terrifying it would be yeah. he's also he's also brilliant what, what's the name of that actor who... oh I forget who plays Muldoon um well he's an old English oh it's on the tip of my tongue um oh. Bob Peck. Bob Peck. Bob Peck. Yes. He he's fantastic. Yeah, he, he is he so over good. he he overacts this like hell. Yeah. Like he really does. He but gives he's, it, he's he really gives good, it the business. Every single thing he says, he's got this over dramatic gaze yes, up yes. to elevens where he's just staring at the he's like they turned off the raptor cage yes and, yeah uh, yeah and it's like okay mate you didn't need to you know just sit, yeah, simmer yeah, down yeah, but yeah. he totally but he totally nails yeah. like that vibe of is he australian or south african what's he supposed to be i think so, he, well, he's, so he's brit he's brit he's british um yeah. he's british in this but he the, the background of muldoon is that he's a big game hunter and in the books they kind of there's a little scene that talks about how he was employed because he was he was in Kenya. So him and John Hammond met in Kenya. So John yeah. Hammond's backstory is that you know they're from that kind of that side of yeah. um, uh, Africa, and and he was a big game hunter for a long time. And John Hammond basically he said, um, "Whatever your price is, I'll have you. I want yeah. you as the as my head of so that because so, you have experience of animals that can hunt you as well as you can hunt them." And that yeah. was the kind of the drawing for Muldoon as a oh, character. Oh right, okay. So um, it was it was kind of it was kind of a bit of an adrenaline trip. Yeah, for, exactly. But, but also, but also like the overacting kind of comes from the back that this guy's probably seen things. Like this guy's probably you know he's had to hunt lions. And tigers and you know from an era where it's 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 horrible to to do as a big game hunter but he's probably coming at it from a defensive perspective and he's having to learn and adapt yeah. you know these things the raptors are like no lion or tiger you know the the, the level of intelligence and actually yeah. his overacting really pushes that narrative no exactly you know, it sells it it sells yeah. it like when they're standing beside the raptor cage and he's describing how they never attack, attack the fence the yeah. this, in the See. same spot it's systematic yeah. they're learning yeah. it really yeah really sets up the threat level it does and, it does and his and his overacting just makes it just that little bit juicier and his overacting is one of the aspects i love about it but the other thing is just this one there's this one camera angle that just 
Spielberg must have been obsessed with with this character when it's just like angled up at up at his chin and he's just like glaring off in glaring off into the side after he's just delivered one of his one of his lines where he's just clearly like distressed mm. or excited or both about about something and it is brilliant yeah it, it's it, he is he is a fantastic character in this um and then we get the kitchen sequence yeah. now that kitchen sequence again we have some of the music that plays in in the background of that some of the some of the as you hear the classic raptor sequences that come through but oh my goodness it's it's so tense that sequence it's so tense that sequence and it starts again with no music you know that sequence where she's she's wobbling the jelly and she sees the shadow and then they go ah and then it cuts into them running into the kitchen yeah. and then he goes if oh, they haven't worked out how to open the doors and then it opens the door yeah. and you're just and it's like it's like alien do you know it is like alien yeah. that's what it's going for you know you have the, it's like the xenomorphs coming in like that is what you're you, that's what you're getting at yeah 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 100% um, and I and I just and I just love it. Now, obviously, there's a lot of outdated tech, and I talked about some of the shonky stuff in this. The whole tech sequence where Lex is turning on—it's actually Timmy who's the the nerd in the books, and Lex is a little girl, whereas Timmy's a little, uh, an older brother in the books. Um, so Timmy's the kind of dino nerd and the hacker. Yeah. Um, so I like it how they kind of rectify that in the film. That's one of the additions that I really liked is that yeah. she was the hacker. But God, the outdated technology. Of, I think that's what they thought like a security operating system looked like. You yeah. know, how it's like the little villages and they have to zoom in oh, on the little yeah. ones. I was watching yeah. it going like, what is that? Well, no, it, it's weird because it was like, it would have taken so much more effort to, to animate yeah, yeah, this exactly. thing. It looks, like a, it looks like a flyover video game. Did you make yeah, uh, like exactly. a Microsoft Flight Simulator or there's, something? There's also a little one if for, 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 for diehard fans of Jurassic Park there is a really famous CGI bluff when Lex falls through the vents and she picks and, and uh, Alan Grant pulls her up just before the raptor bites and just yeah. misses her leg yeah, but yeah. that's at no point that is that's not Ariana Richards so she plays Lex because you can see the muscles on her like it's definitely a stunt actress oh, right, that okay. plays it but what they do is if you watch that sequence again and what you'll blink and you'll miss it she looks she falls she's dangling with her hands she looks up and then looks down again. And in that quick up and down, they, they CGI Ariana Richards' face onto the stunt. Oh, really? And it looks really terrible. You were talking about 4K screens and stuff. It looks really terrible. Oh, like, I, look, I watched it on my retina display I'm, on the I'm laptop. Kinda, I'm kind of I'm glad that I missed that then. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one. Uh, and then we have the two other, just to top it off, mate, last little points, the epic introduction, just where the Velociraptors are honing in on the crowd, and then the T-Rex saves the day, and we get that fanfare again, yeah. and what a release that is, just when you see that. Absolute, absolute release, although I'm ashamed to say I did roll my eyes a little bit when the banner came down in front of it while it was I doing its roar, doing that dinosaurs bit. ruled the ruled world, the get it? it get it audience and i'm like yeah i get it i get it thanks i thought it was beautiful i thought it was a fantastic welcome with the fanfare a wonderful rounding off and a final sequence because we see the velociraptors and the and the t-rex you know the hero almost uh at the end of the day absolutely and we finish on the piano playing the beautiful um as we see the pelicans and they're flying off the island Uh, yeah now the piano is a really interesting one because uh, because actually a lot of the recording or a lot of the creation of this music, uh, John Williams was sending the themes of Jurassic Park when he was creating it to Steven Spielberg, and he was using just the piano. 
to create a lot yeah. of the music when he was writing this. Well, he does for every score that he does. Ah, he, I see. He, so, he composes everything at the piano. So that was that was a homage when they introduced that homage. Steven Spielberg wanted to just go. I want it to be that end piece of music is just the piano rather than having the strings do that main thing yeah. with the low strings. So and and that's and that's how they finished it. Um, but mate, the final point I have is the writing of the score. John Williams scored the movie at the end of February 1993 and recorded it a month later. He felt he needed to write pieces that would convey a sense of awe and fascination, giving it dealt, uh, giving that it dealt with overwhelming happiness and excitement that would emerge from seeing live dinosaurs. Yeah. Now, John Williams overall actually really liked this mu- really liked the, the the music that he created and he's amazed by it. but he actually has gone on record saying it the, the end product has was actually happier than he first envisioned it would be oh okay and it's as far because, as the music or the as far as the music the, the music movie. the music so that the music that he created for the movie he said it was happier than he initially wanted it to be interesting uh, and it that it but it, it's because of that awe and fascination because you couldn't have one without the other you couldn't have the the dark horror of this movie, but the awe and fascination. And so they lent on to the magic and the wonder and the, and the possibility, as we said at the start of what we're creating. Yes. And I, and that's the reason why I love this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, it's like way more than, you know, other of this genre because it didn't lean into the genre aspects of it as opposed you're to right. the imagination aspects. You, of you're it. totally right, mate. And that is the point of what I'm trying to say is that actually, if you were trying to get really snobby about this, this shouldn't be a two thumbs up. The reason why is because actually what you see on screen and what you hear are totally different things. But the music holds up and makes you look at what you're seeing on screen in a totally different way yeah it totally turns the and narrative a much, and a of much this, more of satisfying way as well so much more so i mean this is the best example of the secret sauce like this is the oh, best yeah, yeah, yeah. example as far as i'm concerned and obviously we have it's the secret sauce in star wars because star wars is pretty shonky without the music if you've ever watched it without the music you go Whoa. oh god yeah yeah whereas there's and, a fa- and, the very famous video of the the throne room scene at the end of the first star wars movie without music is very very famous it is unfortunately fake somebody just took the took the track out took the track out of it and then inserted a couple of coughs but it is still very effective what are they doing but just to but just to finish Jurassic Park it's the awe and the magistry because it is actually quite an upbeat piece of music for the movie yeah but I can't not give this two thumbs up of course you can incredible nobody would People would stop listening if we didn't yeah, give it two thumbs it is, up. It is absolutely, absolutely incredible. Yeah, so it's two thumbs up for me. And I just want to, you know, pay homage to who I feel the true tragic character of this movie is. And that is uh, Nedry. Nedry. <laughs> ne- Nedry. Because really all he wanted to do was get a little bit of money to, you know, move to a Midwest city change his name to al and open up a toy shop yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. 
you know you know he is actually that he is actually a tragic hero in the books as well you know all right i thought you were about to say oh he does actually voice yeah. al, al from al's toy no, i know i'm like oh. <laughs> i know it i know he does i know he does but he does he does he does he is like a tragic hero in this but, but and actually that's why they changed it because they wanted they didn't want the audience to feel sympathy for him that's oh why you they don't he is, he is disgusting yeah. in the movie yeah. isn't he <laughs> a slob as samuel jackson calls yeah. him. what a slob <laughs> Ah, 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 you didn't say the magic word. Ah, ah, ah. I ah, love that ah. bit too. <laughs> Fuck, I love this fucking movie. <laughs> I love it so much. What do you say? I hate this hacker shit. <laughs> <laughs> Moving forward? Moving forward, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, we've got a lot of things to talk about. We do. Um, you want to you wanna yeah, set I'm us just off? Yeah, I'm just going to fire us off. ACDC released a new album. Can you believe it? Wow. Amazing. It amazing. is amazing. In, in 20, it's the thing that we didn't know we needed in 2020. It really is. And I didn't even know, I didn't even know it was coming. Surprise album. Surprise album. I, I just saw it advertised on Apple Music. I didn't even have to wait for it. I just clicked on it and I started playing it. I listened to it on my way to the shops. It was great. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a classic ACDC album. Uh, did you um, listen to the whole thing? I have. Yeah, I listened. I listened to it. I was playing. Um, I was playing Call of Duty and oh, listening course, to ACDC like a twelve-year-old boy. Of course you were. It was did a really you fun. Your, did you change your gamer actually. tag to Tony Stark while you were? I at loved it. it. <laughs> I actually really liked it. No, it's it's a great album. I mean, look, it is very samey, but that's ACDC. Oh, like, it that's is ACDC. The thing about the thing about ACDC is there's one there there's there's one good song on every album. But they have so many albums that they yeah. that it just means they have so many so many good songs. But no, I think I think this is an improvement on the last one. I didn't overly like rock or bust. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. was the which is the previous one, and I think this is an improvement on that. But I think even though I'm a massive fanboy for ACDC and I unconditionally love them, especially Angus Young, who I just think is the most incredible performer. Yeah, uh, yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah. I think I think he he truly truly is. It is hard to describe this this album like with a lot of their previous albums, especially the last handful or so. It, it's hard to not describe them as God. Somebody stop these guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> then, it's like they're still and going, then, and then they're like, "No, we'll never be stopped. We'll never stop ro- stop rocking." Yeah. <laughs> and i respect them so hard for that you know, you know, even you know, if the product is just it is not you know everything do you know it, what i was I thinking never stop. so they 
the there was an interesting article. I think it was right. I can't remember who it was that did this, and it was it was about how they basically they the, an, an AI machine was basically fed in all of Frank Sinatra's songs, and it was tasked to rewrite a new song based on all that information. Right. And actually, they did create one, but it was a bit weird sounding, and it was kind oh, of Frank Sinatra. Right. Oh, I you could hate definitely the fact that they do you could that. you could do that with if you fed in every single ACDC song, you could absolutely <laughs> the computer could, could create you one. Definitely could. You definitely could. However, however, I think it is very important to say that even though every ACDC song sounds the same, you know it's ACDC. You can't yeah. mistake it for any other band. Yeah, you're even right, though you're it's right. even though it's classic rock and it's very sim simply written and you know simple riffs and all that stuff, it is still ACDC, and you would never say that it's anyone else. Now, something else I want to bring to moving forward. Now, I've been watching a lot of Netflix recently. <laughs> Why is that, Callum? Because we're in lockdown. Do you not have to go to work? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I took a couple of days off. It's been quite nice. Uh, Camp Cretaceous, back to Jurassic Park. Oh, God, more it's... bloody dinosaurs. Mate, mate, <laughs> get it watched. Don't sleep on it. I was so impressed with it. It's, it's, it's... When you watch it first, you're like, oh, this is a kid's show. This is a kid's, what is it? a kid's cartoon. Tell it to me. It's a, it's basically a story of six kids who win a prize to visit Jurassic World, and the basically what it's revealed is that the 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 six part series that's on Netflix or eight part series takes place at the same time as the story of Jurassic World, and it's a it's a different story that weaves in and out of it. Okay. Um, and it's fantastic. It starts the first episode, two episodes. You're like, okay, this is a kids show. Is that an animation? It, it's animation. Yeah. Oh, okay. But then it gets, it's very like into the Spider-Verse-esque, like maybe not quite as advanced animations, but I was reminded quite a lot of that. The first two episodes are quite childish, but then it kind of gets really deep and there's really interesting story arcs and the adventure element of it is great. And it ends in a really interesting way. No, I, I, you would really like it. What, like, okay. I was really impressed with it. Watch Camp Cretaceous, mate. That's a big right. one. Well, I'll do that after I, I finish The Crown. Yeah, that's how it is, isn't it? Season five. Actually, who am I? Who am I kidding? I already finished it like three days ago. <laughs> I don't watch it. You don't watch it? No, I watched. I watched two other films instead that made me happier, which was Children of Men, which is on Netflix. I rewatched that. Children one. of Go Men on. made you happy? Oh, I know, I know. It's a, it's a joking, but it's a fucking <laughs> film. I love that one. Uh, other news: Sylvester Stallone has joined the Suicide Squad cast for James Gunn's Suicide Squad. F yes. Which leads me to believe he's got to be King Shark, doesn't he? The, as in the voice of the voice of, yeah, because it's it's um it's Dave. Uh, who is it? Who's doing the ad? Oh, who is it? Who's doing the Steve? Oh, I can't get the who is it? Who's actually doing the motion capture of it? Steve Buscemi. No, it's not Steve Buscemi. I'm, I'm really typed <laughs> in Steve Buscemi. Uh, what do you think about this news, though? Oh, I mean, I'll I'll happily see Sly in anything i think he's i think he's fantastic well it was released over uh both of their twitters and uh yeah and and i, and I think it was um steve aggie steve aggie that's who it was i didn't even have to look it up oh yeah aggie, 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 aggie. uh but yeah they, it was released both of their twitters um and 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 james gunn said something quite telling on his post twitter people don't realize actually how good an actor sylvester stallone is and because he is a really good actor like if you've yeah, seen him in some, there's some really good stuff that he is act he is actually in um 
you know, like if if you go, what, if you watch, well, if you watch Creed or if you watch some of the original Rockies, you know, Creed, Creed and Creed Two, they're fantastic movies. You know, re- actually, really, really great movies. The original Rambo, like, it's actually really fantastic. Yeah. Uh, that that that's going to be. I think I think it is. He is probably going to be King Shark though. Right. I think okay. he's probably going to do the voice. That makes sense because yeah. it is a kind of Vietnam wartime movie. It it's going to be the callback to Rambo. He's going to have a shark with a minigun. Like, yeah. I and mean, again, it's that I'm or just, Weasel. I, and again, I'm just really interested how they're going to tie this movie into the DCEU as well. Mm. Because maybe, they will. Maybe, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think they absolutely will. But which is crazy because the they're going to have to try and retrospectively. Um, kind of do callbacks to birds of prey and to suicide squad because obviously we said harley quinn uh margot robbie's going to be who, in this who one. are the who are the who are the carryovers who who have we already seen so harley quinn and rick flag harley quinn rick, rick flag uh captain boomerang we've got carryover of amanda waller but is captain uh, boomerang still being played by jai courtney yeah jai courtney yeah all right okay yeah and exactly. amanda waller as well amanda so waller. i think my my suspicion is that they'll introduce some kind of time travel element mm. where the original people that we've already met will go back in time and the people that we haven't met will be people of the past. Oh, really? Do you think so? Yeah. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. You're right. And yeah, I think that's, I think that's the way to yeah. do it. Because otherwise, why haven't we heard of like half of them before? Yeah, do you know what I mean. That's a good point, mate. That's a really, that's a really good point, actually. So that's my yeah. official prediction. It's going out Love on it. the internet. We had some interesting news from the Matrix recently. Do you have you heard about this one, mate? Oh yeah, I have heard about this one, and I couldn't <laughs> help but laugh and cringe <laughs> in equal measure because I was like, "What are you doing?" Right. Give give us the headline. Give, so give basically, us, us the my understand thing. my understanding of it is based. It's being filmed out in Germany in a where in a warehouse or a work workshop out in Germany, and they were filming. Um, and they sort of said, "Oh, we're doing filming. We're doing a production sequence." But actually, reports were on screen that it was just thirty people having a massive party in a yeah. warehouse somewhere, and there was no camera equipment anywhere. And basically, they were just um, obviously pretending they were filming to get around the government guidance of of covid but i but i heard it wasn't just a covert people of the production i heard you know it was organized by the wachowskis no way it was organized by the wachowskis and keanu reeves was there for like the first hour a couple of hours of the party apparently he left early but he was there and plausible deniability i like it well exactly and i'm like I think you know if if it does go that far up the ch- up the chain, that is so irresponsible. Yeah, like, that's yeah. so dumb. Yeah, like is, what are you doing? Crazy. You well, it's it's I I don't know what's gonna do. I mean, I don't know if it will really affect the movie ultimately. I think you know there's 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 things like this in the past that have soured movie productions because of maybe the the attitudes of people on set as they were filming it. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I do know if that sort of stuff has happened in the past. Yeah, um, but. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's also been quite hushed hush. Like I had to go out my way to find the articles on this to be right, honest. Okay. So I'm it's... surprised. Maybe there is nothing to it then, because I sort of suspect that a, a fuck up of that magnitude and of that importance in the current climate should be a much bigger deal. Yeah. But I don't know what you do. I mean, it's just like I mean, obviously you just have to be reprimanded by the law and it's the the German authorities have to take it into account, but it's just like 
oh, come on, guys, like you're better than this. Like, but I, you know, we we all want to do this. We, you know, it's, it's it's the same thing with Cummings, obviously driving up to Barnard Castle. It's like, what, you know, you, you've got these people, but they're all human. Like, part of me kind of goes, oh, I get it. Like, I, I get what they're trying to do. Like, it's it's it's, and I don't think whilst they were doing it, they were they were thinking, haha, I'm getting one over everyone else. I think it was just like, because when you create a movie of that magnitude, like it's a momentous occasion, especially of the re, like the recreation of the Matrix, 100% you're going to want to have a, some sort of party. I'll and only forgive them trying... if it's good. Yeah, exactly. If it's a <laughs> shit movie, <laughs> a shit I'm movie coming after them. <laughs> well, and then we've got on the other side of the fence, Wonder Woman 1984 is being released on HBO Max. Now, obviously, they've kind of taken the they've taken the the other the other time they're taking obviously COVID incredibly seriously, unlike the Matrix. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's going to be quite a smart move actually for for what they're what they're trying to do. And um, basically, because it, it's probably the, for the best, because as much as any film fan worth their salt wants to plop their butt into a stadium seat, as Wired talks about, an overpriced soda and a superhero movie, COVID nineteen is still tearing through the country. Yeah. Um, so basically, it, it, basically, so Warner Brothers has called its move to release Wonder Woman 84 in theaters and on its streaming platforms in the same time, which is historic. Yeah. Um, so it could also so that means we be... we should still get to see it in the cinema. Yeah, I think so. Because I've been think, really craving a cinema so. trip. I'll be honest. So whether this strange experiment's results are uh, what Warner Brothers want, uh, we'll still we still want to see obviously 1984, and it was originally projected to be a billion dollar blockbuster. But it's unlikely the release will have that kind of performance now. But it could significantly impact HBO Max's subscriber numbers at the time, and especially because it's at the holiday season. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do. So I mean, look, looking broadly speaking, this isn't an ideal situation for anyone sitting in an air condition, in, in, sitting in air condition in the middle of July to watch a movie in the multiplex is is, is a lot of fun, but uh, but I don't know, you're going to be sat at home. I mean, I was thinking about this, mate. How could you get around this whole thing of cinemas not opening? And I think this whole like, and you've got it's something to do with the HBO Max streaming model. And I think the way that you could in some ways do this is if every, what if, right, a new movie coming out, Netflix or Prime, rather than having it pre-recorded, it was a live event. So every Saturday night at 8 p.m., Wonder Woman 84 is going to be on Netflix. And if you subscribe to Netflix, you have it. So you have to sign up to get it. But isn't that what Sky did? Is that what they did? Is that, well, isn't that isn't know. that what Sky was back in the day? Like the Sky movie channels. Oh, I know. oh Sky, you're right. Sky they movie did. channels. Yes. They were on at specific times. You're absolutely right. I remember they did that. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they didn't have the platform base for it before, but I was just thinking that. But I mean, I guess like that's just a great idea. But what problem do you solve there? You're kind of trying to solve the cinema experience piece. Well, yeah, but I think... I think that will result in less people having it because, you know, more people are going to choose to watch something when they damn well please than mm. being told when they can watch it. Yeah, yeah. Aren't well, they? It's, well, I, I think I think so, but I'm not... I just... I, I, I just think that, obviously, that we're, we're going to go back, you know, fingers crossed, we've been having some amazing results in the world of... Um, of of bio of bioengineering, um, which we haven't got into the whole 
Pfizer piece on the 90% success rate of the vaccine. Yeah. Do you know how they're do you know how they're doing that by the way? It's incredible. They're simu they're they're creating a simulation of COVID-19 so that your body can fight against it. They're not even injecting you with the actual uh the actual virus. Oh, they're interesting. Cre- inj- injecting a simulation of it and it's your body is is being is fighting against the sim- like it's it's the, the the created version of it. And I had this explained to me at work. I think when the the announcement was released, one of our one of the surgeons in our work kind of mentioned it to me, and I I remember feeling flies flying in and out of my mouth because I'm so amazed as to we can do that. Like imagine imagine how intelligent or how how much research has had to go into to create something like that. Oh, I just undeniable. Think absolutely, absolutely however, amazing. However, they've got it wrong. The the vaccine's going to mutate, and we're all going to turn into zombies. Or or dinosaurs, or dinosaurs, or velociraptors. Or, yes, and with that, I reckon that's the end of the show. Well, there was one more thing I just wanted to touch about. I've got a trailer for you to watch, mate. Right, and that is the Grand Tours trailer. Oh, excellent! Now the Grand Tour three days ago released a new trailer. Uh, for a new series that's or not a new series but it's a new special now obviously they made the sad announcement a couple of i think it was nearly two years ago they made the announcement that they're no longer doing yeah they weren't doing uh, the studio component the studio component which is a shame because i like the studio banter i did i did too but actually i think if i could choose one or the other it was the tours that were the best thing definitely and they're really leaning into it so it's called a massive hunt and there is a trailer it's on it's on youtube at the moment it's dropped about three days ago do you reckon that's a bit of not so subtle wordplay that rhymes like a different word (laughs) of course it is yeah a massive hunt uh but but yeah it's it's it looks really great um it's, it's it looks like all the classic uh the classic tropes of jeremy richard and and, and james uh and yeah and the, the 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 i guess the pin art or the kind of what's it called the the what's it called when you click a uh the thumbnail the yeah. thumbnail is literally the three of them looking at some sort of ford with uh, caterpillar tracks on it so they've removed the wheels from it oh fabulous so, uh, but the trailer is really really funny i mean it's your classic grand tour uh piece so yeah so that that's coming brilliant so yes we'll cover something else out. to look forward to but what do they have to do now oh what do they have to do now hmm, i have an idea why don't you go onto the apple podcasts app mm-hmm. and find our podcast Listen to our podcast, which yeah. you already are because you're listening to my dulcet. Listen to right it now. again; it does well for the numbers. We yes. love it. I know. Listen to it again. Listen to this episode again, then listen to every other episode we've done twice, and then and, and then set up the phone on the side of your bedstand and just leave the episodes playing in repeat order because it does really good. The algorithms love it, man. Yeah, they love it. you don't have to listen to it. Turn the volume down. But what is crucial? Give us a little five star review and also tell us what you think in a little written review. Uh-huh. You, and if you can't be bothered doing that, tell us what your favorite movie is. Tell us what your favorite movie soundtrack is. We love to see all of it. We're also tell us what your favorite dinosaur is, <laughs> if you want. <laughs> <laughs> we are also on Spotify and many, many other platforms where podcasts are available. Yes, and we also have an email address, don't we? It's motionspod at gmail.com. We're also on the gram as well now. The gram We're is being on the monitored. gram. Doing um, it for the gram. One of us is on the gram. One of us manages the gram. The other one doesn't. See if you can tell who it is. But as Alex says, you can you can write in a wonderful, wonderful review. Um, and, and actually, I've just got a really, really nice one that Tim, Tim wrote in. 
Uh, so Tim basically said, so then you grab your camera, start shooting your way to great pictures. So number one, look your subject in the eye. Number two, use a plain background. Number three, use flash outdoors. Number four, move in close. Number five, move it from the middle. Number six, lock the focus. Number seven, know your flash's range. Number eight, watch the light. Ah. Wonder, I mean, and Tim, that... We always get a, such eloquent letters in. I, I think that's really a really, lovely. but that was a, he, he put that as a, as a beautiful email to us. Um, now, Tim obviously is a long-standing listener of the show. He was, he was obviously featuring in the film Jurassic Park as well. Yes, he was. Uh, he, yeah. he, uh, I hope you're doing well after falling off the fence and uh, having a really intimate mouth-to-mouth sequence with Alan Grant. Yeah, uh, which rewatching it again, I was like, oh god, that's an intimate. Scene. I spot, I spotted him inside the T Rex's mouth with a megaphone making the noises. Oh, he did, yeah. Yeah, he was nice. going, he was going, you know. Apparently, Steven Spielberg actually did that, and no, uh, and and no, no, he did, he did. So Steven Spielberg was making the noises of the T Rex in the T Rex sequences when they're off sequence when it wasn't on the on the screen. Of course, and, he was. Uh, and Sam Neill went on record to say that actually it was more off putting than than anything. Like it was made it funnier than anything, and so they it found it really difficult to film some of those sequences. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's it because there was no sound, so they had Brilliant. to have sound in post production. But that's that there. Another little fun fact, honestly. Oh, for the, for the next for the next couple of years, it's just going to be Jurassic Park fun facts because I've got so many facts. Brilliant. So much knowledge on that. Make it another segment. <laughs> Excellent, mate. Uh, well, thank you very much for listening. And until then, goodbye now. And um, goodbye. Ta-ta. No, that's not what you see. You yeah, I know, but I, no, d- don't, do it again. Do it again. Take two. And until then, everyone, goodbye. Ta-ta.